This is Essential. Essential. This is Essential Audio. Before we get started, just a reminder that the 2022 Wark Awards for Effectiveness are now open for entries. Entry is free, and for full details, you can visit wark.com. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome to Wark Behind the Winning Idea. I'm Fergus O'Carroll, host of the On Strategy podcast, where each week I interview strategists and clients about the thinking behind great work. It's an honor for me to host this Wark 12-episode series. And today we hear about a campaign from DDB in New Zealand for Spates Beer. It won a bronze in the category of sustained growth. The brand had seen a dramatic sales decline over a handful of years of up to 36%. After attempting to develop a series of product solutions, it embarked upon a brand refresh. Mateship, or friendship, had been at the center of the brand for decades, but the brand's expression of mateship was felt to be dated and limited in its appeal. This is the story of how they reclaimed and redefined mateship in a way that appealed to a broader segment of New Zealand men and turned around brand sales. At the center of the campaign is a spot called The Dance. And while I dropped an audio clip from the TV spot into this interview, it really doesn't do it justice. So I would encourage you, if you can, to watch the, uh, the spot on YouTube. And if you're not familiar with Spates, it's actually spelt S-P-E-I-G-H-T apostrophe S. That's S-P-E-I-G-H-T apostrophe S. And the spot is called The Dance. It's actually a wonderful piece of film. I think it's about three or four minutes long. Uh, in our interview, sometimes uh, Lucinda, who has this amazing New Zealand accent, uh, might make the, the term mateship sound like nature. I don't know how that happens, but it does. It sounds like nature to me sometimes. So I just wanted to clear that up. When you hear it, it's actually mateship. If you're interested in the full written case study, and if you're a WARC member, you can go to the WARC website. Otherwise, if you're interested in learning more about WARC and its extensive offering on marketing effectiveness and intelligence, you can visit WARC.com and request a demo. So here are Lucinda Sherborne, Executive Planning Director at DDB New Zealand, and Rachel Ellerm, National Marketing Director at Lion in Auckland, New Zealand. Enjoy. So congratulations to you both. Great to have you on. And uh, I'm excited to have this, uh, this conversation around spates. I've been trying, as I mentioned to you both before we started, I've been trying to figure out how to, how to pronounce it. So hopefully I'm doing it justice. justice. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you, Lucinda, for joining us today. No problems. Thanks, Vegas. So let me start off, uh, Rachel, if you could, can you, in 30 seconds or so, can you describe what you think this case is a great example of? Uh, sure thing. So I, I guess when everything is heading in the wrong direction, we've got alcohol consumption per capita in decline, consumers are demanding well-being and essentially moving away from the classics or our core portfolio, and we had a brand uh, losing relevance, it really shows what is possible. Um, the, the power of one culturally resident, resident idea um, has literally turned around the fortunes of the space brand. And it's a great example of us staying true to our core beliefs around mateship, but really breaking traditional beer stereotypes, you know, celebrating you know, positive masculinity 
and redefining modern mateship for New Zealanders. Lucinda, can you tell us about what is Spates for those who are not familiar with it and and what was its reputation before this, this campaign launched? Yeah, so Spates is a beer from a brewery in Dunedin, um, New Zealand, South Island. It was established in 1876. Um, and it competes in the largest segment of the New Zealand beer market, um, mainstream lagers and ales. Um, and as Rachel's already talked about, it all, it's always epitomised the pride of the South, you know, and born of the same kind of honest, genuine, dependable, down-to-earth character um, as the region it hails from. And this is expressed not just the brand itself, but kind of the down-to-earth kind of everyday nature of the session ale um, that, that informs it. Um, and the Southern Man, part of that has been a long-running brand um, icon for the brand. And whilst he was really popular, he, was, he, he wasn't getting beer off the shelf as, as once as he did. And even though it's had amazing heritage, there, there were two issues. The brand just wasn't relevant and it was anchored in the South Island. And we had to fix both and define a new legacy for the brand. And, and so for those who are not familiar with the, the character that we're talking about and this sort of everyday man, I think for those in the U.S. and maybe for certain parts of Europe, they might think of, I would certainly describe that man as being sort of a cowboy, pioneering cowboy in sort of the outback sort of, uh, or in the or in the sort of wilderness areas of the country. He's this sort of hardened, tougher uh, character. Is that, a, is that a fair way to sort of describe what that that sort of uh, character is in the advertising or had been in the advertising in the past? Yes, it has. I guess that the Southern man in New Zealand, it's a bit different from the kind of American um, kind of cowboys, but obviously the Southern man in New Zealand was very much about the pioneering kind of heritage of New Zealand. And, and I guess the same sort of kind of hard work and determination and kind of toiling the land. The difference in this respect is that it was actually about a lot involved in terms of sheep raising and kind of high country. Um, and that has been really, really critical to the story that we've actually been telling over the last few years. Um, and we'll talk about this later on, but that Southern man heritage of guys on a horse tending the sheep um, and kind of working together in really kind of isolated kind of parts of New Zealand. So Rachel, can you tell us about you know, what were some of the sort of category dynamics that were happening at that time, shifts in volume, uh, how was it impacting the brand, and more importantly, why? Uh, so what we were seeing in the alcohol category in general is a decline in consumption per capita overall. Um, within beer itself, which is, of course, a sub-segment of alcohol, the penetration of mainstream beer, so largely our ales, uh, was declining. And what we were seeing from a consumer perspective was a shift into well-being. So either low alcohol, uh, low carb, low sugar, uh, and uh, premium. So a premiumization of the category and also a shift into craft. So um, in New Zealand, uh, little known fact, but New Zealand has the highest number of craft breweries by in the world. So we've seen a lot of penetration of smaller craft breweries and they were stealing share from our classics portfolio. So that's generally our ales and lagers. So overall, uh, between 2011 and 2015, the consumption of mainstream beer in New Zealand had fallen by about 17%. And to top that off, uh, Spates is, um, has one of the highest shares within this segment, and we were falling behind even the category growth. So between that same uh, time frame, we declined by 36%. So um, why? Well, partly that was uh, because of consumer and where the consumer was heading in category. 
And secondly, we had a brand issue. And that was around the relevance and how do we make this brand that was anchored in the South relevant across all of New Zealand and culturally relevant of today. So my understanding is that there was there were attempts to try and develop uh, product solutions to this challenge. But the, I, my understanding from reading the case is that they didn't really solve the decline, which is which is a very pointed way of saying that this was fundamentally, at the end of the day, a brand challenge, right? Yeah, I think um, we definitely started uh, where it seemed most obvious, which was innovation. So how do we extend the portfolio um, to drive relevance and go where the consumers were? Uh, we embarked on an innovation uh, journey, which had us uh, do some craft skews, um, some mid-strength ales, and then a flavoured summit lager. Uh, and even then, you're right, Fergus, space volume was still free-falling. So we knew that we hadn't cracked it. And what that meant was that um, it really pointed to a formula which was and-and. So both um, strengthen our brand relevance and do innovation at the same time. And we needed to do both because doing one or the other wasn't turning around the trademark. So uh, Lucinda, there's, a, there's an initial conversation at some point. What's the, what is the conversation and what's the brief that the client puts in front of you? So what the kind of the crux of the brief was that um, the client gave us was actually to stop focusing on new products to drive the the brand um, and actually really, really focus on reviving the core of the brand to drive total performance. So the core business objective was really about really, really focused and single-minded on getting Spate's trademark really strong again in the core. Um, and as um, Rachel said, you know, we just couldn't keep driving that innovation and it was it was about building on and and and. Um, yeah, so that was the core. So, so what is end and end? The end and is the uh, both culturally relevant communications and single-minded innovation. Okay, got you. So you, um, Rachel, did you have some sort of hypothesis going in once this brief was was on the uh, was on the table? Had, did you go into that sort of briefing to the agency with some initial ideas of what you thought might be a solution? Or was it sort of a clean sheet of paper that everybody could start to rebuild from? Um, uh, I think, well, actually, Fergus, I wasn't the, um, it wasn't my watch when it was initially briefed in, but okay. I will answer that on behalf of uh, the team. I think um, the brief that went in was that we had to remain true to Spate's core values and beliefs, but express mateship in a different way that was relevant to the new generation of drinkers. And, and why why was that? Because, you know, one could say that that is uh, limiting, uh, given that you're in a really deep hole from a, from a sales perspective, from a sales to client perspective, it's pretty significant. Did it feel that it was limiting or did you feel, uh, you obviously didn't want to steer too far away from the core brand values, but there's an argument that could say that there could be some shifts uh, or maybe consideration of a, an alternative positioning for a new younger drinker. Lucinda, was there conversations about that or were you guys just absolutely focused on just reinterpreting what already existed? I think there were two things that kind of gave us hope. One was um, the heart of the brand had always been about mateship and really kind of getting behind and kind of sticking by your mates. 
And we knew inherently that irrespective of beer, mainstream beer occasions being in decline, the fundamental need for mateship, we coined it spateship, wasn't. So we knew, we felt really, really confident um, that the core of the brand was actually really powerful. It's like Rachel was saying, we needed to find a new way of expressing of it. The other thing um, about the brand to date, and it kind of comes back to the historical comms platform in terms of how the brand had been expressing itself over time, that it had always expressed its masculinity and its mateship through very, very physical deeds. And actually kind of this sort of stoic, silent, kind of my actions will say, kind of how much I care for you um, versus actually kind of expressing it on a more emotional level. And I guess so the key was how to explain, but express that was doing it in a way that actually was taking it very much from just physical deeds to emotional ones. So that was one of the key pivots on the brief at the time that we actually got from the clients. So how do we actually take the deeds that the brand had always defined itself on in terms of mateship and find a new way of expressing them, a much more emotional way and a much more way that was based on values versus sort of shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder kind of masculine bonding. Yeah, I, I love that, Rachel. Do you guys have, uh, Rachel, do you have planners inside at Lion at your company? Because it's, I, I love the fact that you guys sort of brought that initial cultural observation about the possibility of updating mateship and mateship for for uh, people in the u.s or other parts of the world mateship is really obviously we know the referral of uh the reference the cultural reference of mate like your friend so mateship is like friendship it's it's that sort of connection but between guys that's your mate and so um i'm, I'm super curious about that sort of cultural observation is did that come from the marketing team at the time or were you guys doing your own primary research that that helped uncover that uh, and i think um it'd be fair to say that we identified that we needed to evolve but we didn't know how um so no we don't have creative planners in the marketing team uh, for lion um we were working with ddb and loose in the team it's probably worth just touching on loose the research that you did to to figure out the how and the insight that we were going to latch on to for the dance. Yeah. yeah, so I think I think from a planning perspective, um, there are a number of different aspects that we looked at in terms of the process and kind of really unlocking how do we reframe this mateship and this kind of creating a new masculinity around the brand. The first thing that we did, um, we did this quite extensive cultural deep dive um, doing a lot of cultural trend analysis, also kind of balanced with cultural uh, qualitative research around the changing nature of mateship, just genuinely, um, and also New Zealand masculinity. So that was a balance of macro social trends and emerging cultural themes around mateship, just at a kind of, even at a global level. Um, and then we took that down to a much more micro national level to look at it through the lens of New Zealand masculinity. And how did you do that, Lucinda? I mean, tactically and methodology, how was that achieved? Because I, I love that. I'd love to learn a little bit more. And I know people are curious about how did you get to those core issues? Was it engagement? with uh with your target audience with these younger men or was it sort of a psychologist's or an academic point of view of what might be changing was, the culture it was actually both it was actually both and in actual fact it was quite a simple intuitive um but ultimately the, the bulk of it actually before we actually even started talking to consumers and our, our kind of drinkers was actually quite classic academic sort of desk research based kind of 
you know, psych psychological and, you know, cultural trend and societal trend stuff in terms of just generally that changing nature of masculinity and the role of mateship within it. So it was a balance of both. The other part of that, which was really key, was um, laddering that back to the brand. So, you know, we had this really strong base of understanding around mateship and masculinity and how it was changing in New Zealand but also then looking at the brand and what was happening with the brand and I guess the building blocks of the brand against that background. So at the same time, we really interrogated the brand's enduring kind of soul, the enduring kind of DNA of the brand and what that meant in this changing world, particularly around mateship, obviously the symbol of not just masculinity, but Kiwi masculinity. And like we talked about earlier about you know, the, the enduring values of space is the reward of, it's always been the reward of doing what's right, helping your mates, and just those really good to honest Southern values of dependability, kind of strength, goodness, and, and loyalty and generosity. So it was a balance of those, those two sides of the, the equation. So did you know, uh, uh, Rachel, do you think the team back then, and when you look at that in retrospect, did you guys know immediately that you were onto something when Lucinda and the crew kind of came back with perspectives um, or did you, did it require a couple of back and forth meetings to sort of shape it to exactly where you wanted it to be? Um, I, look, I think, I think we knew and, um, and because it's grounded in a human truth. And the thing that I love the most about Spates is, is what it stands for. And it's, it's really straightforward. It is men helping men be better men. And that's not only expressed in the dance, it's expressed in other things we do, partnerships that we support. And when you have that to hold on to, when the ideas start coming through, you know that you're onto something magic. And that, you know, when we talk about, you know, masculinity in New Zealand, and you know the ideas that come out of that, um, and the way that it's expressed. That's when you start getting those goosebump moments, and and I think that's what the dance, you know, ultimately did when the creative direction started coming through. So, men helping men be better men. Terrific, love that. Did that was that prior to this campaign? Has that always been been sort of a value uh, for the brand, or a sort of an expression of the brand, or was that? A, a, developed as part of this new campaign? Interestingly, um, I think the the notion of mates helping mates was always, you know, absolutely kind of sacrosanct to the brand and part of its kind of enduring DNA. I think the actual phrase was coined um, post where we got to with dance and really about the bigger role that Spates as a brand plays, not just in terms of sociability, in the mateship front, but a bigger view on kind of mateship and the role that a beer brand and a mainstream beer brand can play in New Zealand. And it's just really, really helped distill and really, really understand really what is at the heart of the brand and the real power and magic, you know, kind of around it. When I hear um, men helping men be better men or the, the shorter version of mates helping mates, I look at the old work, uh, Lucinda, and I think, it's hard for me to see that in the old work, the uh, the good on you mate work, but I completely see it in the dance and I completely get how culturally relevant and, and powerful it is. So I'm curious, can you, it just because I want to drop in some of the old spots into this audio track here, could you explain or your interpretation of the old campaign? Where were we with, you know, good on you mate? 
It's, it's an interesting um, kind of observation because, again, it, as you said, it was always about the uh, traditional values of mateship and that willingness to go in above and beyond, you know, the lengths you go for a mate. Though how it was expressed with good on your mate, it was always at the expense of other people. So it was always about genuinely you sticking by your mate and doing what it takes, um, but doing it in a way where kind of everyone else is excluded. So in the 90s, when we had this campaign, the Southern Men, um, you know, it was expressed like, you know, putting their mates first, even friends. And there was a really, really great example of that, the, the Spate Stair Stalker Ball, in which a man's offered two ball tickets from a woman who's hoping to be taken on a date. However, yeah, the man that's takes a great both spot, yeah, however, the man takes both tickets, kind of one for him and his mate. And, you know, through this process of work, it became really, even though it was always about sticking by your mates and kind of dependability and loyalty, that element of doing truly the right thing and actually kind of that, the changing nature of mateship and actually a much more open, much more expressive aspect of nature wasn't coming through in that old, in that old work, which was what we tried to get to with dance. You going to the Deerstalkers Ball this year? Hadn't planned on it. I've got a live band. Spot prizes. Mrs McConnell's making a venison pie for the supper. Oh, yeah. They've got spates on tap all night and a late licence. She makes a fair game pie, does Mrs McConnell. That right. I've got two tickets. Tell you what, it's on me. Fair enough. Might see you there then. And now we we'll, can we'll contrast that, if you would, with the new version. So there's the there's the evolution. We have the old good on you mates uh, articulation of it. Again, could you explain the newer version and how you would describe that uh, evolution? Yeah, I, I think firstly it would probably be worth thinking about um, two other kind of points that led to it. I think the key and came out of the work that we did in terms of that cultural kind of digging is the mateships evolving face. So. Um, and you see this in Good On You, Mate, and, and you know, um, you know, in that whole campaign of the Southern Man, that, you know, historically mateship, and, and particularly Kiwi mateship, through the lens of the brand was very kind of reticent and tough, and it was earned through deeds and bonding shoulder to shoulder, and um, it, was, it was very sort of stoic um, and very closed. It was quite a closed world. Um, so the difference in terms of what we did with the new campaign was about genuinely kind of moving it on from just kind of, you know, sticking by your mates at the expense of everything else um, and actually kind of embracing a much more open view of masculinity. So when you actually think about the dance, the power of that idea um, was that it actually kind of expressed a very open and very kind of quite uncomfortable expression of mateship. That, you know, the fact that you actually only ask a mate for help and you've got the dance is actually probably one of the most sort of sacrificial things that you would actually do for a mate. So, you know, we always looked at dance and described it as the ultimate expression of mateship. Um, you know, there are some things you can only ask a mate for help with. You know, the dance kind of reimagines that old tradition of mates sacrificing for mates through kind of challenging times. Um, and it was just a lovely expression of um, how you could show 
kind of men actually, you know, kind of stepping out of that quite stoic, out, outmoded view of masculinity and mateship and actually actually doing something quite uncomfortable for the sake of your mates. Yeah, and it also I, I was also struck by the fact that even in casting, you're you're um you've used a very different lens through which to cast people. It's different kind of guys, uh, as contrast to that more as I referenced already that more of a cowboy, outback sort of character with the uh, with what I would describe as a cowboy hat to a much more modern man, uh, it, it, a working class man nonetheless. But it was yeah. a, a working class man from today, not from the past. Mm. Yes, um, it's an interesting one, actually, because part of that, um, there were two kind of reasons for that. I think one reason was we had to take it out of the archetypal um, kind of sort of idiosyncratic sort of stereotypical aspect of the Southern man. And we needed to kind of saying it's not just drunk by men in the South. It's actually drunk by all New Zealand men who represent the same values. So it was really important that we take the men out of that setting. Secondly, we needed to create a new status around these men, the men, the everyday, good, honest, dependable kind of working guy that people could relate to. So in the past, when people associated um, kind of, you know, characters and masculinity with spates, it was really strong, really powerful, really kind of, you know, heroic men. So we needed to make them feel a lot more approachable, a lot more every day and a lot like kind of my mates. So that was the key shift. And as you can see in the ad, there's a whole mix of different types. They're not perfect, but they're very, very good people and they're strong in themselves, not physically strong, but strong in terms of that sense of character and support for each other. So coming back, Rachel, to the uh, the sort of this, the strategy stage of all of this before the dances has been introduced uh, or developed, were there were there strategic options that the agency came back to you with um, after they had done some field work and absorbed all of that research? Uh, and can you share maybe one or two other things that were maybe talked about and considered but ultimately didn't feel right? Um, yes, sure. So the, the core strategic recommendation that DDB came back with was around turning our weakness into a strength. So uh, as New Zealand's most iconic masculine of, of bears, um, what we knew was that if anyone can make it okay for guys to express, you know, friendship emotionally and vulnerably, then, it, then it's fate. So the, the core strategic recommendation was around, you know, heralding in a new era of Kiwi mateship. Um, there were, I think there were other ideas on the table. Um, there was one um, that was, um, you know, interesting and powerful. It told the story of mateship through man's best friend, you know, a beloved dog and companion. Um, and the story was essentially about, you know, a group of friends giving um, a furry friend the best day ever. Um, but, you know, what um, it was really liked, you know, for its camaraderie and, um, and approach, but we really felt that, um, it didn't quite hit the nail on the head. And um, so what we, you know, I think that's when the, the dance came back and then the DDB had another crack at the creative uh, and came up with uh, the dance. You are, you're obviously uh, waiting to see what comes over from the agency. Can you describe some of those early meetings uh, where creative ideas are in front of you? And then what, what was the reaction from your side when you saw the idea for the dance? It was, you know, a little bit of a departure from 
um, what we had done in the past. So, um, you know, we there was a little nervousness um, as well. But the more you get into it, the more you see the magic that comes from the dance. I think um, everyone very quickly got on the same page. So, Lucinda, before we drop the spot in here, um, can you describe what the dance is? What is the idea? What is the spot? So basically, um, the the idea of the dance follows the story. It's quite simple of two workmates who seem who, who seem to be teaching each other to dance, um, and we also meet within that idea. We meet the wider group of mates who help them stay after work um, to kind of help, kind of comp- can you know kind of perfect this dance. And it's just a lovely balance of um, kind of mastering. Um, you know, they're kind of them kind of getting together as a group project and their approach to it. Yeah. All of these characters become lovable characters as you go through this spot because they're, you can see them being vulnerable. You can see the camaraderie and feel the camaraderie throughout the whole spot. And then, of course, there's this wonderful ending. And can you describe the ending? Um, so the ending basically is, you know, the whole idea is essentially you don't see it at the beginning, but you find it at the end that they're working towards helping him with his wedding dance for his wife. So there's Simon surprises his wife with the perfect dance routine while his mates proudly watch on from the kind of the dance floor sideline with a few tears in their eyes and kind of just that sense of pride and looking at what they've achieved together to not just, you know, have a bit of fun along the way, but most importantly, for them to help do the right thing for their mate who in actual fact is doing the right thing from his wife no no again spinning relaxed move through graceful grace stop yep. tripping on me three two three and then we're going to move yep. one two three one two three one two three and then this wouldn't do the dip what's wrong with the dip nah not contemporary enough I've seen a move like this once quite good you watching? Great, Ish. Yeah, that move's particularly bizarre. Uh, very tense. You know what? You know, doesn't matter three, if you're not looking one, at them. You know. Three, Yeah, it, it's a beautiful spot, uh, Rachel. What was what was your reaction as you guys probably went through uh, through um, uh, casting and through? Uh, did you test the the spot at all? Uh, yeah, yes, we did. We used uh, System One research for our testing, um, and it, and originally it didn't test that well, and um, so it, it scored a one. So System One is um, on a rating of of one to five. But um, we realised that the um, the footage that we put into System One wasn't doing the idea justice. So we had a very good long chat to um, our researcher who could see the, the power of the power of the idea and and perhaps the weakness of the stimulus we put on and put in rather. Um, and um, you know we were convinced of its potential. So um, after. Um, we made the ad, we tested it again, and we got uh, 4.6 out of 5. Wow, that's awesome. Terrific. Yeah. What, a, what a difference, <laughs> I think yeah? I a, le- a leap of faith um, 
that was involved. But yeah, once we'd made the ad, we were, we were pretty stoked. So from a calm strategy point of view, you have this beautiful, beautiful piece of film. It's it's really wonderful. And uh, I, hopefully this spot conveys that. And if you're, if, you're, if you're just listening to this episode, please go and check it out on YouTube. Um, but it, it is a wonderful piece of film. The, the question becomes, Lucinda, how do you, from a comm strategy point of view, make this come to life on, through different channels, in different environments? How did you guys approach the rollout of the campaign? I, I guess really the, the, the most important thing was, you know, was setting that emotional stage. So um, the power of dance in terms of really kind of connecting to that that human truth and that emotional story and the relationship between these amazing mates. Um, it was so powerful, um, both emotionally, but also, you know, visually. So, of course, TV was critical in rolling it out. Um, and we actually managed to, you know, align it um, on Sunday Light along Side Dancing with the Stars. Oh, um, cool. Very yeah, cool. it was amazing. So we managed to kind of all the kind of the, the stars were aligned, um, and it was a you know as a um, a two minute we launched with, um, and then of course that established that stage, and then we started introducing kind of shorter sixty second and, and fifteen second execution. So that was establishing the emotional stage through the TV, and then like I said, everything else came off the back of that to really bring to life, I guess the visuals um, and that spirit of dance. So we launched billboards. So it was massive in terms of the support about rolling the, the brand across the country. So it's always been a very kind of part of our culture. So it was key that it was it was literally kind of scattered across the country. So we had, you know, 50 national billboards and that's kind of really big for New Zealand and transit sites really burned the conversation onto the landscape. What we also did at launch to really, really help was um, we came up with this idea um, of saying cheers with beers. So at the launch phase, the second half of the campaign enabled mates to personally say cheers um, to that good mate or that good sort of their life with a thoughtful box of um, kind of space. So basically what we were able to do, they were able to go on to um, onto this microsite and they were literally going, I were able to say, um, um, change the, the iconic blue and gold lab, label and put their mate's name front and centre along with a personalised message of thanks. Um, so that was really, really kind of important to really integrating that campaign digitally and mobilising our fans to say thank you with their favourite box of beer. Um, and that was massive, the response that people had with that. And then again, digitally, we just extended that story to kind of give it a greater sense of pur purpose and, and like spread it. Um, to connect with lighter TV viewers and, and introduce that ethos to new drinkers kind of coming into the category. Um, yeah, so that was sort of the main thing. And then, of course, social really was, again, just um, as you do, just deepening that engagement and earning that love with just an always on, on conversation. So, um, so, Rachel, when we look at where the brand is today, um, and I don't just necessarily mean reputationally, but in the minds of, of, of you guys as brand stewards, this this evolution is is pretty powerful, and it puts you sort of in a different direction, at least in terms of where you might go conceptually or, or executionally with the brand going forward. What are the different ways that you guys think about the brand or talk about the brand now that you have it in a headed in a different direction? When you think about what comes next, uh, well. What we think about is everything that we do has to be anchored in 
uh, men helping men be better men. And um, that's our compass, our North Star, and our conviction for spades. Um, the dance isn't going anywhere. So um, uh, four years in, it's still going strong. And I think that's just testament to the, the power of the creative. Um, what we are now figuring out is how we express that across our sub-brands. So we have um, Spate Summit Octra um, within the portfolio as well, which is doing incredibly well. So Lucinda, what do you think? What, what do you think is next or, or what does this, what sort of opportunities does this open up for the brand now? Um, I think the part of that um, where we got to with this sort of sense of kind of men being, you know, um, helping men be better men was this notion of a brand that doesn't just reward mateship um, and be the beer for kind of good men. It's about kind of taking a higher stand in society and having a bigger view on the world. So we talk about a brand that's not just honouring good mates, but honouring good men. Um, and, you know, if anyone can actually do that, it's Spates in terms of continuing um, helping guys in New Zealand um, you know, be better men in terms of, you know, expressing themselves, being more open, not just in terms of their mateship, but being open about themselves personally and kind of, you know, and actually still giving men a, a place in the world that they can actually come back to, a place that they can be themselves, can hang out with their mates um, and actually kind of, you know, and just have, have fun together. So obviously we are on a, a work podcast, so work um, not only enjoys great ideas, but uh, is really all about effectiveness and performance. So I, I'd love to uh, close out here with a conversation about results. Can, um, can you guys share um, what the outcomes have been from the campaign, both in terms of brand KPIs and business KPIs? I don't know which one, which, which one of you would like to start. Do you want me to talk, Rachel, about the creative impact and you talk about yeah. the business impact? Yeah, yeah I said. Yeah, so I think from a creative perspective, um, you know, and, and having worked on a lot of brands um, and, you know, kind of trying to solve lots of challenges through creative um, and brands over a number of years, um, you know, I'm incredibly, feel incredibly proud and privileged to be part of this process and genuinely to see the results that we've achieved. Um, it's just incredible to think that four years on, the show's actually still going. Um, and it just proves the incredible impact of just one kind of culturally idea. So um, as soon as it was launched, the creative impact on the brand and the country was epic. And even four years in, um, it's as strong as ever. So from day one, it blew other beer brands out of the water. And is this the same spot that's been running for four years? Same one spot. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and again, you know, like last year, we actually stopped measuring a lot of the brand metrics because they were just not changing. So, um, firstly, you know, from day one, it just blew you know, kind of other brands out of the water in terms of ad awareness. Like, so over half of New Zealanders, you know, within a few weeks claimed to have seen that campaign. Um, and even more kind of last year. So, and now in Dance's fourth year, it's still above the norm in terms of kind of advertising awareness. But most importantly, it changed people's perceptions and feelings towards space. So um, before dance, you know, all the band, brand metrics were, you know, kind of trending down um, and people were, were incredibly disengaged with the brand. Um, but this almost changed overnight in terms of this uplift and people increasingly feeling that, you know, Spates is a brand for them, talking about it, 
kind of, you know, genuinely connecting to it um, as a brand that they related to, that they understood, that understood them. Um, and I guess most importantly, before kind of Rachel kicks in, going back to the, the kind of the age-old challenge that we were facing, how do we take, which is a kind of an old New Zealand very masculine brand associated with beer, associated with nature, and actually kind of make it relevant. And, um, you know, all the outtakes over the, in terms of message outtakes over the years, prove that a really masculine kind of mainstream beer brand can actually evolve with culture. How about the business metrics, Rachel? Well, um, the the results continue um, to be amazing. Um, it, when dance kicked off, it jump-started the, the total trademark. Um, Year-on-year, Spates has outperformed the category. Um, and um, from 2018, we grew by 5%. 2019, just under 7%. 2020, 14%. Uh, last year, we became the number one beer brand in New Zealand by volume, toppling uh, the market leader, which we're all incredibly proud of. And this year... Um, we're still continuing the growth uh, trajectory, even with some of the impacts um, with COVID um, and some of our channels uh, closing with lockdowns, et cetera. And I guess, you know, um, one of the most important stats is our ROI. So uh, for what we invested, for every dollar that we invested, we're sitting around about $5 payback. So um, we're pretty happy with that. It's terrific. And it was... Uh... It's in the category of sustained growth, the Wark Award for, for Spates, the dance campaign. I, as I mentioned earlier, I encourage everybody to check it out. If you're a member of Wark, you can go to their website and read uh, the detailed uh, written case study. Uh, or you can, if you're, I mean, if you're curious about Wark and the, uh, the information and the services that it provides in the worlds of effectiveness, and insight, you can go to work.com and you can request the demo. Thank you, Lucinda Sherborne, Executive Planning Director of DDB in New Zealand, and Rachel Ellerm, National Marketing Director at Lion, which is both a brewer and a distributor in Auckland, New Zealand. Thank you both so much for this great campaign and uh, congratulations on your award. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we'll see everybody on the next episode.